Well, we've already sung it, right? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Well, I was thinking about joy this week and thinking about what the word joy means. And uh, uh, the Oxford Dictionary actually defines joy as a feeling or emotion of great pleasure and happiness. And, you know, I think that's a pretty good definition, uh, except it doesn't mention the source of joy, right? The source of joy. So uh, the, the source of the world's joy is often in circumstances. Uh, sometimes these circumstances don't last, things like money or perhaps new relationships or perhaps even good health, right? Money can be lost, money can be spent, uh, relationships can sour, and we all get sick from time to time, right? So these things don't necessarily last. And that's why joy is, is not only hard to come by, but often hard to maintain, to keep for long periods of time. And so I find that uh, lots of people go to self-help books to find joy these days. And uh, this week, I looked up the top five best-selling self-help books of all time uh, to try and find out where people are searching for their jo joy. And so uh, number five on the list is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Some of you may have heard of this book before. Uh, this book has sold 25 million copies worldwide. Uh, number four is Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. This is a, a book about wealth investment strategies, uh, how to become uh, wealthier and richer. This book has sold 36 million copies worldwide. Number three on the list, You Can Heal Your Life by Louisa Hay, uh, with over 50 million copies sold. This book is about how uh, the mind and body are connected and how uh, through thinking positive and healthy thoughts, uh, you can facilitate your own healing. A book number two, the number two all-time best-selling self-help book is called The Alchemist by pa uh, Paulo Coelho. It's a book about following your own heart and dreams while paying attention uh, to uh, the journey. Uh, and that's uh, a 65 million copy bestseller uh, this book is. And the number one best-selling self-help book of all time is Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, 80 million copies of this book have been sold worldwide. Now, this is just the top five best-selling self-help books of all time. Combined, they've sold over 260 million copies of just those five books alone. And so what that tells me is that the world uh, is, is full of unhappy and unsettled people uh, who are searching for joy but haven't found it. And I'm not saying that there isn't a place in the world for self-help books. There most certainly is. But uh, many people don't have joy because so many people don't know Jesus, and they're searching for their joy uh, in uh, empty places, uh, places like wealth and health and self. And if that's where we're looking to find our joy, we're going to spend a long time looking for it because that is not the source of health uh, or of, of, of a happiness and joy because nothing fills our desire for God like God, right? That's the only thing that can fill our desires. Now, biblical joy uh, is a feeling or emotion of contentedness and happiness that is sourced in Jesus, right? We, Jesus is the source of our joy. He is our foundation rather than circumstances. Uh, I saw a, a definition on the Bible app that many of you have on your phones that say that joy is the praise-filled assurance that God is in control and working out everything for our good and for his glory. And so the only source of true joy, biblical joy, is Jesus, to know Jesus and to know the eternal life 
that he promises. And that's why Jesus himself placed such a high value on preaching, preaching the word of God. And so, as we'll see in this message, Jesus didn't come to preach self-help messages, did he? Uh, He never presented five steps to a successful marriage, uh, five steps to better parenting, or, or, you know, seven ways to the new you, right? Jesus never preached messages like that. Uh, Jesus came to preach the good news, uh, which is the gospel, which brings joy to the world and even to the kingdom of God. And so we'll be talking about joy and and especially saving the subject of joy uh, for the end of the sermon. So we are now in week three of our sermon series, which we're calling More Reasons Why Jesus Said He Came. And we're, we're tying a particular reason that Jesus stated uh, for the reason he came to the earth uh, with our Advent theme for the week. And this is our second year of doing this, and we're starting to run out of reasons, so we'll probably have to think of a new idea for next year. Uh, but the first week of our series was hope. And we learned from John uh, 6, 38 to 40, that Jesus said that he came to do his Father's will which is that Jesus lose none that God has given him, but on the last day, he will raise us all up. And that gives us great biblical hope, certain hope, uh, that once we are saved, we are always saved. And a believer can never lose his or her salvation because our salvation and keeping our salvation is not rooted in our strength, right? Because if we could lose our salvation, we would. Our salvation is rooted in Jesus' strength and his power to keep us. And so uh, we have this eternal hope. Last week, our theme was peace, and we looked at Matthew 5, 17, and 18. Jesus said he came to abo- not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And we said the significance of that was that we, in our own weakness, our own human weakness, we cannot keep the law, which is God's perfect standard for how we get into heaven. And so, since we can't satisfy God's requirements to get into heaven, we need someone who can. And so, Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, so that, to the very most minute detail, uh, Jesus fulfilled the law, and when we place our faith in him, well, we have vicariously fulfilled the law through him. And so, uh, God declares us righteous when we put our faith in him, and then we have peace with God. So that was last week. And this week, our theme is joy. And we're going to tie it to to a different reason that Jesus said that he came, uh, which is from Luke chapter 4, verses 42 to 44. He said he came to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And so we've already read the passage. We'll read it again in a minute. But we're going to ask four questions of our passage today. And those are, what made Jesus an effective preacher? Where was Jesus called to preach? What was Jesus called to preach? And how does preaching bring joy? Uh, So we'll read it again and then get into the word. Uh, Luke 4, uh, verse 40 to 42. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place, and the people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. I'd like you all to read verse 43 with me, will you? But he said... I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because it is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So we see the purpose statement. Uh, So why uh, was Jesus sent? Well, uh, what makes Jesus an effective preacher? Before we dive into it, let's just kind of put chapter 4 in context, because we're actually looking at the last three verses of chapter 4. So what's going on in Luke 4? 
Uh, in Luke 4, uh, Jesus was just beginning his public ministry. The beginning of Luke, Luke chapter 4 sees Jesus out in the wilderness being tempted by Satan three times, and, and Jesus parried with uh, Satan by quoting Deuteronomy and sending him on his way. And, and after he was tempted in the wilderness, uh, he went up to Galilee, to his hometown of Nazareth. Uh, and when he went into Nazareth, he went into the synagogue there, and he unrolled a scroll, and he read from Isaiah chapter 61, which says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he gave the scroll back to the attendant and he sat down and he said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Well, that caused an uproar, right? Uh, who was Jesus claiming to be? What do you mean scripture has been fulfilled today in your hearing? Who are you claiming to be, Jesus? And so they bickered about who he was. Isn't this Joseph's son, the carpenter, who we know? Uh, and they got all riled up against him to the fact that, that they uh, grabbed him and pushed him out to Nazareth. There's a gigantic cliff on the edge of Nazareth, and they intended to push him off that cliff and kill him uh, by doing so, but he just passed through their hands. And after being rejected at Nazareth, he went uh, to Capernaum, uh, which is a nearby town, just a short distance away. And uh, different from what happened in Nazareth, at Capernaum, he was received uh, greatly. The people were amazed at his teaching because he, he taught with authority. And to, to prove his authority and to fulfill uh, what he had just read in uh, Nazareth from Isaiah chapter 61, Jesus did exactly what Isaiah said he would do. Uh, heal Peter's mother-in-law who was sick with fever. Check. Did that one, right? Uh, heal everybody who came to him. Check. Did that. Uh, cast out demons, which is essentially freeing the captives. Check. He did all of those things. And so we can understand uh, why the people in Capernaum, the townspeople there, were so excited to have him there, and they didn't want him to leave, as opposed to the people uh, in Nazareth, how they treated him. The people in Capernaum wanted him to stay. Uh, but Jesus had other plans, which brings us now to our passage, verses 42 to 44. Jesus spoke these words in his adopted hometown of Capernaum. That is the city gate of Capernaum. Uh, if you're coming on the Israel trip with us, you will walk through that gate uh, in just about, uh, what, 11 months or so. We're going to go walking right through that gate uh, in Capernaum. Uh, and, and so uh, he went into Capernaum, and he probably preached these words right around or even in this synagogue, which is still standing uh, in Capernaum. Uh, and so uh, when, when he preached those verses, uh, those words, he was almost summarizing everything that had happened up to this point in his ministry, and yet using these verses as a springboard as to what was yet to come. He's going to go preach into uh, the other towns as well, because this is why he came. So what made Jesus an effective preacher? The first thing that made him an effective preacher is the Word of God. The first thing that Jesus used to be an effective preacher was the Word of God. And so effective preaching must be grounded in Scripture, right? It must be grounded in Scripture. Uh, and, and the thing about the Word of God is that in our day, uh, even as in Jesus' day, depending on how, uh, you know, when Jesus was interpreting the Word and, and, and saying that he was the fulfillment of it, that was most certainly controversial. Uh, and the Word is controversial in our world today, too. In fact, it's even seen as hateful by a lot of people who don't like what it says, uh, the way uh, Christians, evangelical Christians, interpret Scripture. 
And that's why uh, many people and even preachers shy away from teaching the word and they teach whatever it is that people want to hear. Well, Jesus never allowed his naysayers to deter him from preaching God's word, from, from giving the message uh, that he intended to give. And, and he faced trouble almost wherever he went, uh, but before he faced trouble with the real higher-ups, he was rejected by his family, he was rejected in his hometown by his neighbors, long before he ever drew the attention of the scribes and Pharisees, and then later on the Romans. So uh, Jesus stood firm in the word of God. And a preacher, to be an effective preacher, we must stand firm in the word of God, no matter the opposition. And in our society, proclaiming the word of God has become more and more uh, hazardous, dangerous to our health. Uh, we will face threats, we'll face intimidation, we'll face rejection, we'll face legal action, and who knows, the day might not be too far away where we actually even face physical violence. And we have to be prepared. So how does one prepare? Well, we have to know these things are coming. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. But we also have to study the word of God, right? We have to know what the word of God says. We have to be able to discern truth from error. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount provides many examples of this, right? Jesus, when he was talking to the people, he said over and over again, you have heard it said, but I say right? You have heard it said, but I say. He was correcting what had been taught and telling them what the word actually said. And so Jesus knew the word and he corrected false teaching. And so we, as preachers of the word of God, must be able to do the same. So Jesus had the word of God. And the second thing he had was the power of God. That's the second thing that made Jesus an effective preacher. You know, Jesus was probably tired, right, from all his traveling and all his healing and the demands that people constantly made on him. Uh, and so he needed to spend time alone with his father uh, in the wilderness, uh, in prayer. And so in verse 42, it tells us he went to a solitary place. Uh, and we know from various places in the New Testament that Jesus frequently went out to the mountains and hills, spent the entire night there, or got up early and went out to spend time with the Lord. Uh, and so he did that because Jesus came on a mission to preach the word of God. And that's exhausting to do that day after day and to, to be, have all these demands from the people uh, that he had. And so he needed power to do it. He needed the Father's strength uh, through the Holy Spirit to fulfill the mission that he had. So for you and I, how do we get this power? Well, we get it the same way Jesus did, right? This is no secret. We need to be spending time alone with God in the word, reading the word, praying for strength, praying for discernment, uh, for courage, for opportunity to be energized by the Holy Spirit. And this is really a lost discipline today. You know that, right? Now, in this century, the information age, uh, television, computers, smartphones, social media, uh, there are so many things that drag us away uh, from being involved and engaged with the Word of God. And, and oftentimes, we even ignore this discipline because we don't see any immediate fruits of it, right? Uh, sometimes the fruits of our labors, our prayers, uh, they don't come to fruition until years later, if at all, if we even see them in our own lifetimes. And, and that can be discouraging. But Jesus, for his part, he had only three years of public ministry, right? He, he, he ministered for about three, maybe three and a half years. Uh, so not a lot of time to do a whole lot of work, and yet Jesus always found time to be with his Father, uh, uh, just being re-energized through prayer uh, to be strengthened for the mission. So his very mission depended on it, and so does ours. We need God's power. And so two things that we need. We need the Word of God. We need the power of God. Well, where was Jesus called to preach? That's our second 
question that we're asking of the passage. You know, Jesus was, was, was always out and about in the wilderness, and sometimes he would just disappear on people, and they're all looking around for him. Where is he? And so they're constantly searching for him and finding him and interrupting his time with God the Father. They were needy. They were helpless. They could do nothing without him. Uh, no one could speak like him or heal like him. And so in verses 42 and 43, we see that they, they searched for him, and they found him, and they begged him to stay. And we can surely understand why, right? I mean, they didn't have anybody uh, in their neighborhood who could heal uh, sicknesses, who could cast out demons, uh, who spoke with the authority that he spoke with. And so they needed help, and he was a miracle worker, a healer, a person who could cast out demons. But Jesus didn't come just to one town. He came to the whole world. And so uh, where did Jesus preach? His, his mission was to preach the good news everywhere. So he preached in Nazareth. They rejected him there. He went to Capernaum. They received him there. And the whole structure of Luke's gospel is actually a, a north to south mission uh, that, that uh, Jesus had. Luke's gospel begins with Jesus' ministry in Galilee. Uh, that's the pinkish purple area up at the top of the map. Uh, and he stayed there until in Luke's gospel until chapter 9. Uh, and then he started his long journey toward Jerusalem and the cross. And on the way, he preached through Samaria, he preached through Perea, he preached in Judea, in the regions of Bethany, and also uh, preaching in Jericho, and then finally Jerusalem. So, so Jesus preached the word wherever he went, because that is why he was sent. Now, Jesus wore a whole lot of hats when he was walking the earth, right? And, and we may think of him as a healer or a, a man who did miracles or a comforter or maybe a friend or a, a teacher. And he was most definitely all of these things. But, but primarily, the reason he came, as he said here, was to preach. He was a preacher. He came to preach the good news so that others might hear and believe. And that's the reason that Jesus said he came, that we're looking at this week. Verse 43, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And so the lesson for us is that we need to be ready to preach the gospel wherever we are, wherever God sends us. You know, we are not itinerant preachers like Jesus was, you know, going from town to town, preaching the word. Uh, but we do have a sphere of influence. Uh, you have family, friends, neighbors, co-workers that are unique to you. Uh, I don't have your sphere of influence and you don't have mine. Uh, so we are called to preach to that sphere of influence that we have. And we're called to do that even if it's uncomfortable. Uh, because if we don't reach these people, who will? Who is going to reach those people in our own sphere of influence uh, so Jesus was called to preach to everyone, everywhere, and so are we. Well, what was Jesus called to preach? Jesus said, I must preach the kingdom of God to other towns also. This is a unique phrase to Luke, the kingdom of God. He uses it 31 times uh, in his gospel and then six more times in the book of Acts. Nobody else, no other gospel writer uses this phrase, the kingdom of God. So what is it? I mean, the kingdom of God is a very complex idea, right, to, to try and wrap our arms around what this means. Now, certainly there was a present tense aspect to it when Jesus spoke of the kingdom of God. Uh, the kingdom of God appeared in him uh, on the earth when he came. And so he came preaching this kingdom of God that he brought with him to the earth so that uh, people could receive the kingdom of God when they believed in him. So they would receive it then at that moment of belief. And through Jesus, all people can experience salvation and all the blessings that accompany salvation. 
So that's the present tense aspect to it. But there's also a future tense aspect to it as well. The promises that, that uh, God makes through Jesus about the second coming, uh, rewarding believers, vanquishing his enemies, about our eternal life in heaven, uh, these things all await future fulfillment, and, and these are coming, uh, but they're not going to happen uh, right now. They're going to happen later. So how can we fully explain the kingdom of God? I mean, let's be honest. We can't. How could we possibly explain fully the kingdom of God? We will not be able to understand it until we experience it ourselves firsthand when we actually go into heaven, when we see it for ourselves. But in the meantime, we can tell people what we do understand. And there is much that we do understand, that Jesus brought the kingdom of God uh, at his first coming in himself. And so this is what the Christmas season is all about. Jesus came uh, so that men might have life, so that women might, might have life, so that we might be born again. And so the Christmas season is not about toys uh, or presents or parties or decorations, which are nice, and, and we like all these things, but that's not what the Christmas season is about, and sometimes we can get distracted. Uh, the fact is that Christmas is about Jesus. That is what Christmas is about, God's perfect gift of love who came into the world. Uh, God took on human flesh to live among us, to save us from our burdens and to save us from our sins. And we are all, every single one of us, capable of explaining that we are sinners in need of a Savior. So we don't lack knowledge, brothers and sisters. We lack courage. That's what we lack. And so we need courage to preach the word. Jesus preached as an example to us, not only so that we would believe, but also so that we would be his witnesses. Uh, when Jesus gave the Great Commission at the end of, of Matthew's Gospel, he said, go, go and preach the word. And he commanded us to be his witnesses throughout the world, and that means that we have to preach. You and I, we all have to preach. Now, there are different kinds of preaching, to be sure, right? Uh, I would say that, that my preaching ministry is, is more of a, a ministry, a preaching ministry of encouragement. Uh, and I say that because I believe that every one of you in here believe the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Uh, unless you've got me fooled, I, I think you're all already in the kingdom of God, and I pray that that's true. And if I'm wrong, uh, we need to have a chat. So let, let's, not, let's not let today pass if I'm wrong about that. Uh, but, you know, life can be hard, and even when we're saved, we all need some encouragement from time to time. We need to be reminded of the good news, which is why I repeat the gospel to you every single Sunday I tell you the gospel message. Uh, but the gospel is more than eternity in heaven, right? The gospel is hope for today. It, 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 it's good news for today, not just for when we die. Uh, we can have biblical joy no matter what our circumstances, because we know that God is in control, and whatever we're going through, God will use it for our good and for his glory. And so when we get discouraged, we just need to remember uh, that the kingdom of God has already come, uh, and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us believers, and that God will never leave us or forsake us. So that's, that's my ministry of encouragement. But there's also another kind of, of preaching, and that is evangelistic preaching. That's sharing the gospel with someone who doesn't yet know Jesus uh, so that they might believe and be saved. And Jesus calls each of us to that kind of preaching, even if it's not in front of a crowd of people like I'm speaking right now. You know, most often preaching happens one-on-one. -on -one. Jesus talked to the woman at the well one-on-one, -on -one, right? To the blind man, he talked to him one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, to the demon-possessed man, he talked to him one-on-one. -on -one. 
And Jesus also preached the Sermon on the Mount to a huge crowd, right? So there are different kinds of preaching and and different uh, numbers of people that we might be called to speak to. But however God calls us, whatever opportunities he gives us, we should always be thinking about ways that we can perhaps direct that conversation toward Jesus and toward the gospel, uh, thinking about how we're going to preach the kingdom of God. Because how will anyone believe if they don't hear the gospel? And how will they hear the gospel if no one preaches? So I would love for you all to, to bring all your friends to Grace Redeemer Community Church and hear me preach the gospel. But the truth is, They don't need to hear me preach the gospel because you all are perfectly capable of preaching the gospel yourselves uh, to the people that need to hear it, even if they never step foot inside of these doors. So what are we called to preach? We're called to preach the kingdom of God. And now what are the results of preaching? When God's truth is preached, when God's word is preached, the kingdom of God spreads. Unbelievers believe The Holy Spirit indwells people's hearts, and they're saved for all eternity. And what's the result of that? Joy, great joy. Uh, And so in the time we have left, we're just going to unpack uh, the connection between the reason Jesus said he came to preach the kingdom of God uh, and joy, our Advent theme for this week. So how does preaching the word of God bring joy? Well, first, it brings joy to the new believer, doesn't it? Uh, All of you, everyone in here was saved because someone preached the good news to you, right? It may have been your parents, a Sunday school teacher, a friend, a pastor, but somebody told you the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what Jesus did for you, and the faith that you need in order to claim salvation in his name. I remember when I was finally saved, uh, I was in my late 30s at the time, and, and I had heard the gospel before, But it took until then for for God to unblind my eyes so that I could see what I had never seen before. I'd heard the words, but they never went in. Uh, But God unblinded my eyes and and made me see and understand the gospel for the first time in my late 30s. And how can I describe my emotions at the time? Uh, Incredible relief, right? That was one. Uh, And and great joy, a relief because uh, I finally knew and understood the truth and joy because now I could stop fighting against God and, and, and be ready to receive all the blessings that he had planned for me, uh, and I had been kicking against the goads for, for years and years and years. And so uh, there was an incredible time of, of relief and joy for me, just almost indescribable joy. The Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 12 uh, comes to mind. He's a great example of the joy a new believer has in Christ. This man was a pagan, right? A soldier uh, under contract to work for the Roman army. You know, he gets up he, uh, this, this particular morning, he gets his lunchbox, and he's going to go to work, and it's going to be just another day uh, guarding the jail, right? But this is a day uh, that Paul and Silas were brought to them. And they should have been miserable, right? They had been beaten with rods for preaching the gospel. They had been fastened to the wall in stocks. And, and, uh, you know, they should have been wailing in pain. uh, But the sound that the jailer heard was not wailing. It was singing, singing praises to the Lord God. And that impressed the Philippian jailer probably somewhat, but not enough to make him do anything about it. 
It took an earthquake, right? An earthquake came. All of a sudden, all the prisoners uh, are unshackled from their chains. Uh, the gates are open, and every one of them could have run out the door. And so uh, that certainly got his attention. Uh, and he was about to kill himself, you'll remember, because uh, you're not allowed as a Philippian jailer or any jailer in the Roman employ to allow a prisoner to escape, and the penalty for that is death. So the man draws his sword. He's going to kill himself rather than let the Romans do it. And so Paul at that point says, wait, hold up, stop. We are all here. Every one of us is here. And so think about how you were saved. What, what circumstances did the Holy Spirit work together so that you finally believed and understood the gospel? Uh, for me, it was a various combination of things uh, that finally broke down my walls so that I could believe. For the Philippian jailer, uh, it was the combination of Paul and Silas strapped to walls while singing. An earthquake that, that could have allowed all the prisoners to go free. And the fact that none of those prisoners did escape. And this finally humbled the Philippian jailer. Uh, and he says to Paul, what must I do to be saved? Can you imagine what that must have been like? And so Paul answered uh, in Philippians, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Then they spoke of the word uh, of, of God to him, to all the others in the, his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before him. Read this with me now. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Isn't that something, right? The new believer is filled with joy, and it's because Paul preached the word to him. And so every new believer shares the same experience. A joy like this is never going to be found in self-help or, or five steps to a better you, right? This is only going to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Only faith in Jesus produces this kind of joy. Well, the new believer is certainly filled with joy. Who else is filled with joy? Well, how about the preacher of the word? Uh, the preacher, Paul wrote uh, to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, uh, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy, the people uh, who Paul led to Christ. And Paul's letters are filled with exclamations of, of joy uh, and prayers for those that he led to the Lord. And you've probably had that experience too. Who will be in the kingdom of God because you preached the word of God, of sal uh, to, uh, the gospel of salvation uh, through Jesus Christ to somebody? Whether you've led hundreds of people to the Lord or whether you've led only one, you still know that joy. Now, of course, salvation is all the work of the Holy Spirit, right? It's not our work. We don't save anyone. But God graciously uses you and I, our testimony, our knowledge of the Word of God, uh, our preaching to them uh, to, uh, so that we would be tools in his hands so that the Holy Spirit would work and that others would believe the gospel and be saved. And so we have the joy of knowing that God has used us uh, and, and that someone else will be in heaven because we love them enough and had enough courage to preach the gospel to them. Okay, so the new believer, the preacher, how about all the citizens of heaven? All the citizens of heaven. Luke chapter 15, verses 3 to 7. 
Then Jesus told them a parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Read verse 7 with me. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. Can you imagine the joy in heaven, what that will look like, what that will sound like every time a sinner repents? Uh, Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 to 12. Then I looked and I heard the voices of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slaughtered to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. What a party in heaven every time a sinner repents. The joy in heaven over the conversion of just one believer is incomprehensible to mere mortals. But one day, unless Jesus returns first, you and I are going to experience this ourselves. We are going to be in heaven, and we are going to be among these throngs of people uh, who are rejoicing at the conversion of every unbeliever in heaven, uh, all because someone preached the word of God to an unbeliever. So what makes an effective preacher? The word of God and the power of God. Where must a preacher preach? Wherever God has called us to whoever God has put in our path. What must a preacher preach? The kingdom of God, that Jesus has come. God took on human flesh, lived a perfect, sinless life that we could not live, and then died on the cross in our place for our sin. Salvation is through him alone, and the good news is that he's coming again. And what are the results of preaching? Joy, inexpressible joy for the new believer, the preacher, and all of heaven whenever someone is saved. So this Christmas, let's just remember that there are so many people out there who don't share our joy because they don't know Jesus. And Christmas can be a lonely time for many, for sure, but a hopeless time for unbelievers. It's a hopeless time. They're into the presence and the pageantry of Christmas, but they don't know the meaning of Christmas. And they're, they're out buying self-help books by the millions trying to find the joy that you and I already have. Uh, they're looking to try and find uh, love in all the wrong places, as the song goes, right? They're, they're looking for help from spiritual and financial gurus, but it's right here. It, it's in you and me, and we have this joy that we can give to them. We know the truth. Let's preach the good news of the kingdom of God like Jesus did. So this Christmas, maybe they might believe and be saved, and they would have the same joy uh, that we have at Christmas time. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Amen? Amen? Amen. Lord God, we just thank you that Jesus came to preach because no one can be saved without a preacher. And uh, Lord, we just thank you that uh, Jesus came and preached the word and the Holy Spirit worked and uh, moved in, in the apostles' hearts and through the apostles' hearts 2,000 years later to, to our hearts, Lord. Uh, what an incredible blessing. And Lord, may we just continue to carry the torch uh, so that we would preach the word and that others would be saved and that there would be rejoicing in heaven, Lord, and help us to fulfill uh, the message of the Christmas season. Jesus came, uh, but the story is not just that he came. He came, he lived, he died so that we might live, Lord, and, and that is a message that the world needs to hear. And so I pray we'll bring that message to the world today, Lord. We thank you 
for Jesus Christ this Christmas season. It's in his name we pray. Amen.